ASBH is the association for the. Nope. No, it's not. <laughs> what is it? Welcome to this episode of Bioethics for the People, an informal look at hot topics, controversies, and scholarship dealing with bioethics, medicine, technology, and anything else we're interested in. We're your hosts, Devin Stahl from Waco, Texas. And I'm Tyler Gibb from Kalamazoo, Michigan. And yes, that's a real place. So Devin, since graduate school, we tend to meet up at a conference every year in October, right? That's right. And that conference is the the annual conference for ASBH, which is the American Society for Bioethics and Humanities. What is that conference and, and why do we go to it every year? So this is the largest professional conference for people who identify either as bioethicists or people who do work in bioethics and humanities. That H is always tricky, right? Because there are people who don't necessarily call themselves bioethicists, but do work in the humanities related to health and medicine. So they go as well. So this big conglomeration, about usually like 3,000 people a year. Does that sound right? Um, I think so, yeah. Yeah, professors or clinicians working in hospitals or graduate students. So people who identify with this career coming together to hear papers and um, sometimes dramatic readings and sometimes performances, but all sort of uh, presentations related to particular topics in bioethics. One of my favorite parts about ASBH is it feels a little bit like a class reunion that you get to meet up with a bunch of people who you know from kind of different stages of your career and also uh, people you were in graduate school with. So, It is always one of the most fun reasons to go to any conference, right, is to sort of see all your old buddies. And we always get together, I think, usually have a drink, talk about what's going on at our institutions, what's going on with our families. I don't know that, do we ever get into bioethics debates at these conferences, you and I? Uh, not really, because we're usually agreeing because we're both right. That's right. So Tyler, do you remember the first time you went to the conference? I think the first ASBH conference that I went to was in Minneapolis. And I'd have to double check. It was probably like 2010 or 11. Mm-hmm. And I have a vivid memory of it because I was a grad student and I couldn't afford to stay in the conference hotel. So I stayed at a cheap like Motel 6 that ended up being like a mile and a half away. And at the time I had a a stress fracture in my foot. So I had this big black clumpy boot. And so I was clumping back and forth between my Motel 6 and the conference multiple times a day. How about you? What was your first? I think that might've been my first one too. So that's funny that we would have maybe gone to the same one because you had started graduate school a little bit before I did, but I went my first year of graduate school because I had not, I had come in from a theology degree and I didn't, I also didn't know much about the ASBH. And so I got there and was like, what is ASBH and should I go? And it was just sort of this incredibly intense experience of people talking about bioethics from many, many different disciplines, most of which I had never heard of. But I also once stayed at a Super 8 that I thought was kind of close. It actually was close to the conference hotel, but it was the epitome or the cliche of over the train tracks, like on the wrong side. So it was like in a neighborhood that did not feel safe. And I was on the first floor staying with a couple other women. And we were like 
this was a bad idea. And we had to have somebody walk us to the hotel every night when we wanted to go back because we just felt unsafe. (laughs) I think everybody who attended any conference as a graduate student has a similar story to that. What was your first presentation at ASBH? Do you remember that? Well, I do remember the first time I got into ASBH, I applied a couple years and was rejected, hadn't quite figured out the whole how to write an abstract well thing. So I was rejected a a few years in a row. I finally got in. You can submit two abstracts. I had both of them accepted, but I had only gotten one email acceptance. And so I thought I was only presenting one. And then I got the conference brochure and I was in it twice, but I had already booked my flight home. So I missed the second presentation because I hadn't got the email didn't come through for some reason. Maybe it went to my junk mail. And so I only got to present the one. I think I I had invited a couple of like big name scholars to talk about disability. And we did a panel on disability representation um, and the different ways in which we can talk about disability being visually represented in different aspects of healthcare. So I think I talked a little bit about sonograms and um, the ways in which they influence how we think about children before they're born. Do you remember what your first presentation was? Yeah, I I pr- submitted a paper that I'd written in a cross-cultural uh, methods class, and it was about cultural sensitivity, kind of in, like, kind of anthropological cross-cultural sensitivity. Like, how do we, you know, claim that some sort of cultural practice is or isn't, you know, good or bad? So it was a pretty um, shallow paper that ended up getting accepted, and I went to this room to present and I was super nervous and I had my suit on and I was all sweaty and there were about four people in the audience and I was like oh this is great you know I can just buzz through my slides sit down I'll be good and for whatever reason whatever concurrent sessions were going on like in that same wing of the conference venue got canceled so with about 45 seconds before my my talk was supposed to start an influx of maybe 70 people came into the into this room and just filled it up, standing room only. And so that was that was pretty nerve-wracking. I did not enjoy that. It was not a brilliant paper and I didn't present it well. And I, I said thank you and, and heard out the door after I was done. But no booze, right? Nobody booed you. No, nobody booed me. They just rolled their eyes. <laughs> Everybody has to start out somewhere, right? Yeah. We're pleased today to be joined by Dr. Anna Iltis. Anna Iltis is the director of the Center for Bioethics, Health, and Society, Carlson Professor of University Studies, and Professor of Philosophy at Wake Forest University. She is also the current president of the American Society for Bioethics and Humanities. Welcome, Anna. Thank you. It's great to be here. So, Anna, I want to start with a question that is pretty general. Um, So, do you consider yourself a bioethicist? And if, if you do, what is a bioethicist? That's a great question. So when I started studying bioethics, I don't recall hearing that term used. People talked about working on bioethics issues or working in bioethics. And as I started to hear the term bioethicist more, I also heard it challenged quite a bit. Who counts as a bioethicist and how would one know? So I've heard people identify themselves as bioethicists and other people that I think have comparable training, knowledge, skills, say, I'm not a card-carrying bioethicist. 
So against that background of disagreement and uncertainty, I usually say that I am trained in philosophy and I work in bioethics, which I take to mean that I work on ethical issues that arise kind of at the intersection of the health and life sciences and health policy and other kinds of policy related to public health. Good. So Anna, how did you get into bioethics then? When I was a senior in high school, I had the opportunity to take two classes at Villanova University, which was down the road from my high school. And one of the classes I took was what was then typically called medical ethics. I loved it. I also had an interest in medicine and healthcare more generally, and I ended up going to Villanova as an undergrad. Uh, there, I had two wonderful professors and mentors who taught bioethics and allowed me to do several independent studies with them so that I could learn more. There was only one bioethics class at all at the university. I studied um, biology and philosophy, which at the time people thought was a very strange combination. Today, it's much more common to see students with these really disparate majors. But it was a balance for me that I loved and needed, the science and the humanities. And that is something that I have found long term in bioethics. So my senior year of college, um, that fall, one of those professors suggested that I go with her to what would end up being one of the final meetings of the Society for Health and Human Values before the American Society for Bioethics and Humanities was formed. And I think I was hooked for life. It was then that I really decided I was going to change course and I was going to apply to graduate school to go get a PhD in philosophy and pursue work in bioethics. And Anna, you did that at Rice University, that's correct? I did. At Rice, I had the privilege of studying with Dr. Baruch Brody and Dr. Tris Engelhart, both figures who spent many, many, many years at ASBH um, and before that at, at other society meetings. And so it was a real privilege. Sandy, do you think that that's a normal way, that sort of trajectory? Obviously, you're not like the first generation of bioethics by any means, but some of those figures you just mentioned were. So for people like you, was that kind of a common way to get into bioethics, or do you think that your story is unique? I think at the time that was fairly common. People would choose a disciplinary path, you know, law, medicine, philosophy, history, religion, something in particular. Insofar in as people intended to get into bioethics in the first place, they chose a path like that that was sort of combined. I mean, that's why I went to Rice University. It was because they had a strong PhD program with an emphasis on bioethics. I think in, in today, that we see far more people coming into working in bioethics kind of later in their careers or starting out really intending to go into bioethics from the beginning uh, and, and pursuing other paths. Um, but at the time that I was studying, there really were no graduate programs specifically in bioethics or hardly any at all. And that was not something that was really a path that was open to me at the time. So you mentioned this, Anna, at the top, but you are the president of this thing we call ASBH. So it's the American Society for Bioethics and Humanities. What is that professional society? And you know what does it mean to be the president of it? And who are its members? So who are these people, bioethicists, that, that will join and come to the conference? ASBH is, I would say, home to people who are engaged in both clinical and academic bioethics, as well as the health humanities. So ASBH is home to people who are healthcare ethics consultants, clinicians, such as physicians and nurses, um, people who work in health law and policy, people working in research ethics, public health, and so much more, as well as people who are working in the humanities, um, from literature, history, religion, and philosophy, to the performing and, and visual arts. And so it's, ASBH is really an educational organization that promotes the exchange of, um, of scholarly ideas and fosters kind of multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary, and interprofessional 
scholarship, research, teaching, just and, and collegiality in general. Um, it's an organization that I have loved. Um, I was at the first meeting as a graduate student back in the late 90s. And it's been a really important part of my professional development all along. It's also a place where I see old friends and colleagues and meet new ones. And there's just a variety of um, professional and um, educational opportunities for people, mentoring opportunities, as well as opportunities to present our work um, and to hear new work. So for me, it's always been kind of the, my professional home uh, in terms of a scholarly organization. And I think one of the things that I love the most is that it allows me to sort of explore issues that are ongoing in the areas that I focus on, but also to learn and experience so much that I don't typically experience in my everyday professional life. So to learn about some of the disciplinary approaches that I'm not so familiar with, or to explore topics that I don't spend a lot of time studying and, and reading about because I don't have the time to do it. So it's a place to both kind of deepen my own work, but also to broaden what I do and the perspectives that I'm exposed to. So Anna, you probably don't remember this, but you taught my first graduate level course in bioethics at St. Louis University. And I remember one of the first couple of days, obviously we started in the fall and the ASBH meeting was coming up and everyone seemed to be talking about ASBH this and ASBH that, and I had no idea what it meant. So one of the first questions I posed was, hey, Professor Eltis, what is ASBH? So I'm really glad to see that now that you're the president of that organization. That's great. And I certainly do remember having you as a student, of course. Don't think I've forgotten a single student, in fact. But it's also a privilege as a, a former professor to see your students succeed. So, Tyler, was Anna's answer then as good as it was just now? <laughs> yes, it's actually word for word, exactly the same. <laughs> so Anna, what are some things that um, ASBH is, is addressing or dealing with or some of the kind of the hot topics in bioethics that people should, should care about that are relevant to their everyday lives? I think the theme this year is um, justice and flourishing in a pluralistic world. And I don't think we could have chosen, I can't take credit for the, the theme, but as an organization, I don't think that the program committee could have identified a more appropriate theme for our current uh, times. And so I'm grateful that we have a place to go and explore from many, many different perspectives, some of those issues, uh, and also to think about how those kinds of concepts and and issues arise in so many different areas related to health and, and the life sciences, not just in some of the, the ways that might immediately come to mind to, to various individuals. So I'm grateful to have that place. I'm also grateful to have a place where we can go and talk about other interesting things that are not necessarily occupying national uh, attention at the moment, but that nevertheless are interesting and important. It's one of the most valuable things in an organization that can host a very large conference is that there is room to do the things that are both kind of on the, everybody's minds that are running across computers and television sets, but also to attend to the things that tend to be hidden and marginalized and not thought of so often. So there's plenty of room for both of those um, kinds of issues to, to come forward in our meeting and in our work together. Tyler, have you ever, can you think of sort of the most interesting or fun or out of the box kind of presentation you've ever seen it at the American Society for Bioethics and Humanities? Gosh, I, I'd have to take a minute to think about it. So one, like Anna said, like one of my favorite things about ASBH is walking into kind of a, a, a group of papers that are clumped together and them all being completely different, right? So one being from like a theologian's perspective, one being from like a bedside nurse 
um, talking about a specific issue and then one being uh, like a philosophy graduate student that is just completely wacky and you can never in a million years would I have read e any one of those three things but there, there's always this um, kind of thread that goes through the presentations and the, the conversations at, at you know these bioethics meetings that are you know everybody is engaged in the same types of thought and the same types of issues and like Anna said, I, I think it's really a, a, a reunion of some sorts and a celebration of the diversity. And so so often, and Devin, you and I have talked about this, so often we feel isolated as bioethics folks um, because we generally are one of maybe a, just a couple of people at our institutions that deal with these issues. And sometimes we are the ones who are constantly having um, to bring up the issues or, or bring up the perspective or you know, the ethics of whatever issue is is there so it's it's fun to be able to connect with people who have that type of approach as well and i i, I often really enjoy the asbh meetings as well i think this is a somewhat new category but like the performance category so i saw amazing performances last year of like dramatic mm -hmm. readings which you know sort of historical figures and reenacting how they might have dealt with ethics topics we think about today, but in a totally different fashion. The the kind of normal academic paper sometimes is exciting, sometimes is dull, but man, a, a dramatic reading is never dull. Absolutely. And I think for those of us who teach, it enriches our teaching, it expands our thinking, it expands our way of communicating ideas. I mean, I have certainly developed an appreciation for the contributions from disciplines that I simply didn't know enough about to realize what they meant for my work um, or for my students. So I greatly value that. So Anna, we're all teachers here. And I wonder what you think about sort of the next generation of people who are going into bioethics. I get this question all the time from students, you know, what is a bioethicist and how do I become one? Or well, what sort of things do I have to study to be a bioethicist? How do you talk to your students about that? Yeah, I often tell students, you know, working in bioethics doesn't mean only one thing, right? There's not only one path. Um, so I really encourage people to look at their strengths and their passions and to figure out, you know, what is, what is it that I care about? Why do I want to work in bioethics? What does working in bioethics mean for me or what might it mean? I know when I first started, I had a very narrow view of what it meant to work in bioethics, in part because the field was younger, but also because I only knew what I had seen. And I think it's so important to give students ideas of ways that they can understand what it could mean to make a contribution or to be engaged in bioethics issues in so many different ways. And so I have a much more expansive view now than I did then of what it means to work in bioethics or to contribute to bioethics. And so I try to offer that up and start with, you know, what are your interests and what are your passions and what are you really good at and how do those fit together? Not so much, here's the path now, how do you get on it? So I think bioethics is and always must be interdisciplinary. Um, the pursuit of education kind of in a particular discipline or profession is important. I think it's the vast majority of people who end up working in bioethics don't go straight from high school to college to a graduate program in bioethics and come out and say, and now I am in so far as they want to use that language of I am a bioethicist. I think there's usually more to the story. And so I generally discourage people who are pursuing a master's degree as seeing that as the end of the road. Um, if they haven't yet pursued other kind of disciplinary or professional interests. 
So I, I think often right now, at least those degrees are paired with other um, sources of education or other forms of experience to complement them. And that's how people come to make contributions. I think like so many things um, in life that are good, you know, I tell students show up, work hard, be patient, be persistent. Many of the people who have very successful careers in bioethics have in a sense built them from the ground up. They took an opportunity that was available to them and they got into that, that employment situation. And from there, they showed what else they had to offer and what else they could do. And they have helped to create interesting positions for themselves. In some cases, they have helped to craft interesting positions for other people. But it's so often the case that it has been from taking advantage of being in a particular place and going above and beyond that those kind of amazing opportunities have, you know, and, and have been available to people. And so I encourage students to realize that the path is not singular and that it's not narrow and that it's not always straight and that it's okay. It's, there's certainly many more paths than when I started out. And my biggest job as a teacher is to help people not set their eyes on a particular end goal too soon, to realize that there are multiple opportunities and that they might actually want to go in a different direction. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think the three of us will represent sort of different paths there because I started out in theology and I did chaplaincy and that path led me into ethics, um, seeing it on the ground. And then I know Tyler's a failed doctor. No, that's not true. Um, he's he's a lawyer, so that that a totally different way. But somebody who thought maybe he wanted to be a physician, is that is that the correct story, Tyler? Yeah. So my my grandmother, who um, always wanted a grandchild to go to medical school because she was a nurse, she was a retired nurse. She introduced me once as her her grandson Tyler, who's a doctor, but not the kind that it can help anybody. <laughs> so. Anna, what you said really resonated with me. What I often describe bioethics or the field of, you know, the discipline as being a hyphenated field, that everybody who comes into it is a lawyer ethicist or a physician ethicist or a social worker ethicist. And I think that that's partly the beauty of it, but also uh, that creates a lot of frustration as well, because we come from very different um, methodological or, you know, different frameworks. And so that constant conversation that we have to have between different specialties or different disciplines is enriching, but also frustrating in some ways. I think that's true. And it's also, I think, very instructive for us because insofar as we work with other people, especially people in the real world who don't share our worldviews or our disciplinary perspectives or our professional norms or whatever the case might be, it's really healthy for us to routinely have to stretch ourselves to understand what it's like to look at a problem from a different perspective to use a different lens, to understand a problem, to interpret it, to solve it. Those kinds of ways in which we are stretched professionally are actually incredibly instructive and important for the work that we do. So Anna, what are some areas that you specialize in or that you uh, work on or that you think about a lot? A lot of my work right now is in, and has been for quite some time in human research ethics um, and also in organ transplantation and um, the intersection of those two, really, at this point, some of my, the research that I'm doing is kind of at the intersection of doing research on organ transplantation. And uh, so I find those to be really sort of personally taking up a lot of my um, energy and attention right now, and I find them to be really interesting. I'm also doing a lot of work in, because of that with a community advisory group, and it's really challenging my sort of thinking about whatever we might call the received wisdom in research ethics. 
to really get um, lay perspectives on on really important ethical issues and to say how do how does that either compare with or challenge some of the things that we take for granted in in human research ethics and so that's some of what I find the most interesting of course because I teach uh, both undergraduate and graduate students I also end up spending a lot of time reading about kind of current hot topics in bioethics and sort of lots of other things as well but right now much of my work is in in those areas so Anna thank you for taking the time to talk with us today we appreciate uh, your insights and your experience and uh, talking to us a little bit about what bioethics is and what it might be. I, I love the title of your podcast, Bioethics for the People, because of anything we have learned this year is that bioethics is truly relevant to everyone and anyone. There is no one who has been untouched and I think have probably at least indirectly thought about sort of important issues in bioethics this year. So for every single person on the face of this earth, 2020 has brought home that bioethics is really about and for the people. So thank you. Tyler, Anna, she was your teacher. She was not my teacher, but she was at St. Louis University around the time that we were both there. What is your fondest memory of her? So Anna was the director of the PhD program at St. Louis University. And I was a first-year law student interested in bioethics and medical ethics. And I walked into her office and asked her for a book recommendation that would explain to me what a bioethicist was. I love that you had no idea what bioethics is, but you were definitely interested and you thought you might want to get a PhD in it. I think that my interest was in not being a lawyer. And so halfway through my first semester of law school, that's when I was certain that I did not want to be a lawyer. So I was looking for any other opportunity to not be a lawyer. That makes perfect sense. Instead of changing my study, my program of study, I decided to add on another one. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Bioethics for the People. Special thanks to Chris Wright for writing our theme song. For show notes and more episodes, go to bioethicsforthepeople.com. And be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 